Hi friends, and welcome to the Universal Sisterhood podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart has been created to be seen, known, and loved. So this is the place where women can share their story. Welcome to episode 101. In today's episode, I chat with Dr. Joanna Howe. She is a professor of law at the University of Adelaide. She has a doctor of philosophy and law from Oxford University, where she studied as a Rhodes Scholar. She is a wife and mother, and she is an advocate for women. Joanna believes wholeheartedly that women deserve better than being fed the lie that careers and babies are incompatible and that abortion is healthcare. She has reached over 3 million Australians through her viral videos. She is a refreshing voice that is not only speaking truth boldly, but she speaks with conviction, intelligence and compassion. I'll put all the links to Joanna's initiatives in the show notes. I encourage you, follow her, champion her in her mission to change hearts and minds. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. Also, just one more reminder, the tribe booking for the Arise Retreat is in the show notes. If you haven't booked your place yet, it is almost full. Get your spot. I cannot wait to meet you. Have a lovely day. Welcome to the podcast, Joanna. Before we dive into the conversation, I would love for you to tell the listeners who you are and what your life looks like right now. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, it's great to be here. Um, I am a mum of five and I live in Adelaide. I've got uh, pretty young kids, aged between three and 12, so it's pretty hectic at home. Um, I'm married to a wonderful man, James, um, who is still my best friend after I think it's almost 15 years of marriage and um, I work at the University of Adelaide as a professor of law um, and on the side although this, is, this has become a pretty uh, much bigger than a side hustle I advocate for um, a more humane approach on the issue of abortion so I've been pretty active on social media and just launched my own website and I'm really trying to um, start a national conversation on that issue. Fantastic. That's amazing. Have you always been into the issues of abortion and um, pro-life? Look, I haven't been. I um, was actually pro-choice for most of teenage years and into the first couple of years at university. I was university studying law and a card-carrying feminist and just really believed that women needed abortion if they were going to um, be able to reach the same heights of career success that men are able to because they're unencumbered um, by reproductive capacity. And so I just assumed abortion was necessary and fundamental to that. I was pretty ambitious myself. And so, well, if men um, don't have to have babies, then why do women have to have them? We should have a right to to not have them. And so uh, I was 21 and um, I was driving in a car with a friend and he challenged me on the issue of abortion. It came up and he asked me some questions that I really couldn't answer very well. Questions like, you know, um, 
what's inside a mother's uterus during pregnancy. Like if, if it's not a human being, what is it? And if it is a human being, then under what circumstances could you ever kill a human being and it be okay? And um, these questions were quite tough. And although I had assumed I was on really safe ground, and I actually got quite annoyed at him for asking me questions because he was a man and he shouldn't be talking about abortion. That's what I thought. Um, the questions did stir something in me and it led me to investigate and research the issue. And it was from there that I realised that every abortion kills a human being and that it's not the best thing for women. There's a lot of data that it really harms and hurts women. And so, you know, I sort of went on a long journey after that, but it's actually only more recently that I've spoken out about it and felt the confidence to do so. Mm, wow. How was that internally? How how was that reconciling with your staunch feminist beliefs or, you know, this um, passion that you had for women's rights and then realising, hang on a minute, this is actually not doing women a service, this, this abortion on demand? Look, I think when I first realised that abortion was wrong, that was a personal position that I came to and... I, it made me very aware that I could never have an abortion myself. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite ready, I think, to say that nobody else should be able to have an abortion. But very quickly, I actually came to that view because I realized that, you know, if something was wrong for me personally because it is a grave injustice, because it kills a human being, then how could I not call that out and think that was wrong for other people? And you know, it's sort of a little bit akin to, say, slavery in 18th century Britain when, you know, it wouldn't have been enough to say, well, I don't keep slaves, but it's okay that our entire economy is based on chaining up people because we believe that they're subhuman. And so, you know, there was a moral obligation then to to call out slavery. And in the same way, I think I came to the realisation that it's not enough for me to be personally against abortion. I actually have to speak up and, and be uh, vocal about the fact that as a society, we need to move beyond abortion. We need to get to a place where it's unthinkable because we properly support women during their pregnancies and we give them everything that they need to carry those babies to term and then to be able to raise those children or if they want to place them for adoption, then that process needs to be easier. So I sort of came to that realisation that I couldn't just internally have this view. I had to be open about it and have that view for everybody. And, you know, it was over sort of 19 years um, where I started to establish my professional career as an academic and I was speaking out about justice for migrant workers and I was very heavily involved on that issue. And I I realised, well, you know, this issue of the fact that Australia kills 88,000 babies every year in utero, that a baby um, in a mother's womb has a 22% chance of being killed. It's literally the most dangerous place for a child to be in Australia. Mm. And that we have abortion up to birth. We have the most extreme laws in the world and there's nothing to prevent a physically healthy, viable baby from being killed through abortion. And, in fact, we even leave babies who are born alive after an abortion to die. All of those things really prickled away at my conscience and made me realise that I wanted to speak out. Mm. Did you lose many friends? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I haven't lost a single friend, actually, Jess. I I, I guess I thought um, that I might because yeah. it, it was so controversial. And I was particularly nervous, I think, at my university because, you know, within the university space I'm probably an outlier. Universities tend to be pretty, um, you know, pro-abortion, pro, mm. um, 
pro-euthanasia, those, you know, that, that's sort of the norm within the academy and I was aware of that. But, you know, at the University of Adelaide, I've been very fortunate to have a university that stuck by me publicly and defended my right to academic freedom. But also just within the law school where I work, I've got wonderful colleagues and I think many of them disagree with me. And, I've, you know, it's sort of opened up a lot of conversations with colleagues and with students outside of the classroom who have come to me to talk to me about what I'm doing on social media. And um, that's actually been a really wonderful place because I think it, this the way this issue will be one is conversation by conversation it's through the personal connection and friendship with another person where we can you know probe the issue of abortion like that was done to me when I was 21 mm. um I think that's how this issue will will change because the mainstream media and you know government health departments they don't actually let the truth out on abortion they have an ideology that abortion is health care and so you know women are, are lied to we don't receive the information and the facts and the data and so you know, I, th- I think it's been a wonderful opportunity to actually um, show people the issue person by person. And, I, you know, I haven't lost friends. Um, I think that I felt really nervous that I would lose friends, but I really haven't lost any, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Mm. And isn't that so true, the lie of the enemy? He always likes to put those doubts in our mind that you're going to lose friends, you're going to lose your career, and none of those have been true for you at all. And it- Generally, for most people, we don't get imprisoned for our beliefs. Well, not not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment. I think um, concerned that we are increasingly unable to accept people with different beliefs to us, and that mm. um, there does seem to be a real tribalism that exists now. And I think we're much less accepting and tolerant than we used to be. Despite all kind of the diverse and inclusive society, we're actually more intolerant than have been and we don't um, allow people a diversity of opinion. And I think, you know, Jess, I was just reflecting as you were asking that question, maybe one of the reasons I didn't lose friends over this is because I'm not judgmental on the issue. Like, I, you know, I have yeah. friends that have had abortions. I have lots of friends that are pro-abortion, pro-choice. And I don't go into that conversation thinking that they're a bad person. I just know that they've got a different view to me on this. But I know that they're coming from a place of goodwill their heart is one of compassion for a pregnant woman who might be struggling which is exactly the same place that I'm coming from too you know I just have a view that abortion harms her and it makes her complicit in the death of a human being which is never a good thing and so I think being able to approach the subject and the issue without um, being divisive or judgmental or angry that's going to really help in terms of being able to maintain friendships and I think the other point about whether I would lose my career over this you know I did I did kind of think it was career suicide to be coming out so publicly on the issue of abortion but what I found was um, even if I had lost my job or even if I didn't get that promotion and I actually did get promoted to professor after I came out and after the Hmm. advertiser uh, my newspaper had gone out gone after me the university still promoted me to professor and you know but what I reflected was I was happy to let that go if 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 it came to that because I I found a real freedom in speaking up and I I for the first time you know really found my voice on an issue that I cared about so much and so I was ready to jump off that cliff Mm. but that didn't mean it wouldn't have been very upsetting to have you know not got my promotion or to have lost my job because of um you know a campaign against me so i'm very grateful for the way things have worked out but i also recognize i'm going to be in this space for the, for a long time yeah my goal is to make abortion unthinkable to change people's hearts and minds on this and that's going to take a while and so i'm conscious that the hits i've already received 
they're going to they're going to keep coming and uh, have to be ready and um, willing to accept that. Yeah. Well, I, for one, am very grateful for your voice because you can articulate it so much better than, than most Australians who are, you know, pro-life. It is just so wonderful to have somebody on our te- uh, advocating for the the mother and the child uh, in such a beautiful, articulate way. So I, for one, am grateful for you and grateful for your courage. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jess. I loved getting to know people on social media. So I, I was really reluctant to go onto Instagram and TikTok. And I honestly, I didn't even have a Facebook account that was active. I'd opened one up when I was about 20, 24 or something. So I was quite late in, in doing that. But then when I was on Facebook, I was at Oxford at the time doing my PhD, I found that I, I just didn't like the scroll and the, the the need to kind of put my best life out there on, on mm. the internet. I just sort of found in me it kind of um, it made me have feelings of like jealousy and competitiveness and I didn't like those ugly feelings. So I sort of forgot my password to my Facebook account and never used it again after about maybe six, 12 months on it. And it was only when the mainstream media really started attacking me on the issue of abortion in 2022. So what had happened was I had launched with a friend a new organisation called Enid Lyons List, which is aimed at getting pro-life women into politics and into the public square. And we suddenly became the front page you know, a story um, in the advertiser, sorry, the front news story, like, you know, the big story on their website and mm. the ABC covered us as their lead story two nights in a, a row. Um, we were organising an event in Adelaide and the other side had done a rally and they said they were going to pick at our event and our event was not a rally. It was just a sort of a workshop for young people who were asking questions on the issue of abortion. And, you know, it suddenly became this really vitriolic, bitter, angry space and the mainstream media wouldn't let me get my side out and so my husband said to me that I should go on to Instagram and and start speaking to people directly so I did I was very nervous about it because I didn't want to you know expose myself Mm. on social media and and have those feelings of competitiveness jealousy ugliness sort of come up again for me but I think what was different this time was it was a really purposeful um, desire on social media and I think I'd also matured and grown because I'm you know I'm 40 now and it's different. I sort of recognise that um, we all put our best foot forward on social media, but that's not real life and it's just one facet of life. And so I think I was more um, self-actualised in going onto it. But what I've loved about it is, you know, getting to know people, connecting with people I never would have met and building this community of people that want more for women than abortion. Mm-hmm. And so that's just been the most amazing thing. That's fantastic. Um, can kudos to your husband who suggested it I imagine that is a a little prompting from the Holy Spirit (laughs) well you know it was amazing because he had been starting to build his business on social media about six months prior so he's a furniture designer and he he had been doing this thing where he was trying to post very regularly to social media and at the time I was actually a little bit judgy and I was sort of like Mm. why are you wasting all your time on social media you know you're not going to make any sales from this it's 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 useless but then something I observed is as he went on social media his business started to skyrocket and he got too busy and there were so many commissions for his furniture and people were finding out about him he had one real video on TikTok that went to you know nearly half a million people like it just seemed to be giving him all this momentum I still didn't think it was for me but when I was getting shut down and censored on the abortion issue by the mainstream media when he said you should go on Instagram and speak to people directly there was just this little niggling of 
wow, well, I've already seen the fruits of it for him. Maybe this is what I'm meant to do. Mm. And Jess, I don't talk about my faith that much publicly because I want to make it clear that I'm not against abortion because I'm a person yeah. of faith, I'm against abortion because it kills a human being and it's a human rights issue. But I am someone who has a faith and it's, um, you know, it's, it's it's important to me and and a couple of years ago as i as my kids were getting a little bit older um i could sort of sense that i i was coming into a new season in my life and i i did start very intentionally praying and reflecting on well what is the next thing for me to do mm-hmm. um it, with my work and i think um once australia legislated abortion up to birth in every state and territory that was when it was a crystallizing moment for me. I realized this is what I want to speak into. This is the issue of grave injustice that I want to call out and be involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's unfathomable what, what our children are living through or are going to live into that is the norm that, you know, you can cho- choose to kill your children once they're born choose to decide when you're going to, you know, end your own life. Um, I was watching a movie last night um, with my husband and it was so unnerving. It was, uh, I can't even, I do not recommend it, so I'm not even going to say the title of the movie, but I just found the, the guy that he won Best Actor a few years ago, I think it was, or this year, I don't know. But that's the only reason why my husband said, oh, this is meant to be a good movie. Um, let's watch it. Um, and he won Best Actor. Anyway, the first scene was horrific. Um, anyway, by the end of it, this he dies. And at, my husband says, so what, what was the moral of that story? And I said, I can't even, I, I, I don't even know. I can't even articulate why that movie was so horrific for me. And I realised this morning that it was such a, an assault on how we should be living. Like the, these people were no character in that movie um, was living the way that they were intended to live and they were crumbling, self-destroying. It was just horrific and it was kind of painted as a normal life and I was just so sad. <laughs> um, how, how do you... With being the person that you are and the uh, platform that you have, do you lose hope? <laughs> well, <laughs> there are times when I sort of think, like, how has it come to this? So hmm. the fact that Australia does have abortion up to birth for any reason, and and you know, and we know that um, we know that healthy babies get aborted all the time we also know that babies are aborted because they're girls or because they're disabled and it's just sort of unfathomable that this could happen like you know another crystallizing moment for me was in victoria was when i was in flinders hospital and i'd just Mm -hmm. given birth to my second child at 37 weeks gestation Mm -hmm. and i was aware that in victoria a perfectly healthy baby had been aborted for a psychosocial reason at 37 weeks gestation Mm -hmm. so at the very same age I was holding my newborn son and looking at him and he was looking at me and there was so much um connection there Mm. because I carried him for nine months and you know 25% of babies actually born at that time and 
yet I was aware that in Victoria a baby had been killed to abortion and there'd been nothing wrong with that baby and nothing wrong with the mother physically. And so you know, psychosomatic. What, what was it? Was the- a psychosocial. So psychosocial is yeah. a really, really broad term mm. that can basically encompass any factor that affects health. And so it could be job insecurity, it could be relationship breakdown, it could be um, feelings of sadness, it, it can be socioeconomic issues, it can really be anything. And so to know that, you know, I, I dug a bit deeper, 44% of late-term abortions in Victoria on physically healthy babies with physically healthy mums for a psychosocial reason. And, you know, when we legalised abortion, we never dreamed that we would get to this point where we were killing babies just before birth or or allowing babies to die and be left without care after an abortion if it had failed. We never dreamed that that would happen. And so, you know, I, I sometimes do feel just shocked about where we are but I think the reason I don't lose hope and the reason I know that we will overcome this is because science philosophy and human rights are really on our side here Mm. and we didn't necessarily know what was going on in utero back in the 1970s when Roe v Wade happened in the US for example but now we know we've got ultrasound equipment it's very clear that a baby in utero is a human being that responds to the mother that smiles at the taste of carrots grimaces at the taste of kale you know mm-hmm. that is responsive to light feels calmer when music is played that picks up on the mother's stress you know there's all these aspects of a baby's humanity that are really clear from science and um you know we know that in every other in utero operation, pain relief is given and yet abortion is so violent and no pain relief is given. I, I think as we bring all of these issues into the light and as we have these conversations, people will change and that's why I have hope and I know that we are on the right side of history and that this will end. Yes. We're definitely on the right side of history. I know that. <laughs> but just getting through it is it, it can at times seem insurmountable. Um, Can we for a minute speak to, I was looking at your um, Instagram feed just before uh, you hopped on and you uh, you were talking about this new law brought in by the Albanese government, the Ministry of Truth, is it? Yes. So this is a new draft piece of legislation that they're currently consulting on and I'm really concerned about it because it does remind me of George Orwell's 1984 book Mm -hmm. which was a dystopia and it was a world where there was a big brother and there was a ministry of truth and they policed everything that you said and thought Um, and essentially what this new law that the government is planning to introduce it's it's meant to police misinformation and disinformation online and they're going to um put huge fines on social media companies that don't police the misinformation, disinformation. But I think the concern for me with it is that this will be used to censor people that don't comply with the dominant ideology. So, you know, I know that if this law passes, I will no longer be able to talk about abortion on Instagram. I will not be able to get the message out, the truth, the data and the facts, and I won't be able to speak about the harm that it causes women because I will be labelled as disinformation because the dominant ideology of the government is that abortion is healthcare. And if you've got government departments sitting down and working out what in what is disinformation they will say that my sort of posting is 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 disinformation and so i'm really concerned that this will be the end of free speech on on social media and that we won't be able to talk and and i really think it's our public square it's the place where a lot of um important conversations and data 
get shared. And so this is a really big, big concern for me and I'm taking the issue on quite strongly. Um, people who are listening, if they want to go to my website, drjoannahow.com, so drjoannahow.com, there's a, a link there to a petition that I've just put up because I want to kill this bill. So the petition's called Kill the Bill and the aim is to get the Albanese government to go back to the drawing board. Their goal is to combat um, what they see as fake news, but this proposal is one that would have devastating, far-reaching consequences for free speech. Wow. And on that topic, what about the Calvary Hospital in Canberra? Have you got anything to just oh, look that, that was so shocking to see the ACT, Labor and Greens government yeah. go after a well-run public hospital on the grounds that it doesn't provide abortion and it doesn't want to provide euthanasia should that be legal. And so just some background to people that might not be aware of the issue. Um, the ACT government have made it really clear that they wanted to introduce euthanasia and their policy is that it should be allowed on 14-year-olds and they're even looking into whether people with dementia should be able to access it. Um, wow. They've said that will be on the table in a couple of years through an inquiry. And so that's something they want to introduce this year, euthanasia. And they they did an inquiry into reproductive health. That's what they called it. It was essentially... Um, an inquiry into abortion and they, you know the thing that's really striking to me is these inquiries never look at the lack of pregnancy support for women they don't look at the mental health support that women are given they don't look at the resources and other things that women might need to carry a pregnancy to turn it's just purely about abortion when they talk about reproductive health and that's what this inquiry was about and the inquiry devoted a whole chapter to Calvary Hospital with a made-up story about the fact that Calvary had apparently turned away a woman who was having a miscarriage. And, you know, Calvary wasn't given the right of reply. There was no procedural fairness. There was no actual facts given about this alleged scenario. But when the report was released, they'd obviously leaked that to the media because that was what was the news headline of Calvary, you know, turned struggling vulnerable women away and therefore they need to provide abortion. And the CEO of Calvary Public Hospital came out and said, look, that situation never happened. We do provide treatment for miscarriages. That's not an abortion because the baby has already died. But it was too late. The media firestorm had already happened. And so the ACT government then used that negative publicity to say, we're going to take over Calvary. Never mind the fact that the hospital they currently run, Canberra Public Hospital, is the worst performing mm. hospital in the country. Um, and what this was really about, and I show this on my YouTube channel, so if people want to go to Dr. Joanna Howe on YouTube, you can see this um i really trace how this decision was politically and ideologically motivated and you know I, I, what's really devastating to me is that it's it's just done it's done and dusted and and, and they've taken over this hospital and now there'll be no freedom of conscience and freedom of religion for the doctors and nurses and midwives who work in that hospital yeah and that's the first of many yeah, I, I saw a friend of mine sent me a beautiful clip from Father Tony Percy. I don't know whether you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he received a text message from a male nurse from Calvary Hospital. Did you see that? I didn't see that, but I do know Father Tony. What did the text message say? Oh, it was it was so beautiful. So this um, he received a text message from a male nurse uh, at Calvary Hospital when they were taking the all the crucifixes out of the um, wards, mm -hmm. and he said he has never done this before, and he felt compelled. He asked the um, whoever was removing it, "Can he kiss the cross?" and he said that he kissed the cross and it reminded him of kissing his grandfather goodbye when he died. Um, and he said he'd never had such emotion and he realised, you know, that the, this 
the crucifix and suffering is so much a part of our identity and our makeup and you just can't remove it. Like by removing structures um, is trying to, you know, remove it from us, but it's to- it's innate in us. And I just thought it was so beautiful that um, he could sense that. And we're, we're trying so hard to eradicate suffering in our world um, that we, we're, we're clawing it, you know, anything we can and, and removing physical structures when really it, it's still inside us. You can't remove that, <laughs> that connection. I just thought it was really beautiful. Oh, yeah, that is really beautiful. And I, I think it really is heartbreaking because in the government taking over the hospital, um, there are many doctors and nurses and midwives who worked for that hospital because they knew it was a safe haven. It had institutional mm-hmm. conscientious objection, which meant they didn't need to rock the boat and say, I, I, I don't want to perform that abortion. I don't want to be involved. They, they were covered by that institutional conscientious objection, which meant it was a safe place for them to work. And I'm really concerned that we're heading down a path where we won't be able to have Christian and Catholic doctors, nurses and midwives in this country because we are now defining healthcare to be a thing where we intentionally kill human beings. And mm. a lot of health professionals never went into that profession for that purpose. They went into it to save lives and to respond to health and to restore health. They didn't do it to intentionally kill a human being. And so I'm very concerned about what the Calvary precedent sets for us in Australia. Mm, absolutely. Um, what what can we do? What's, what's something... Um, practical something that we can do as a as you know women of australia who um really want to have women upheld but what's something we can do our womanhood our motherhood i know they're trying to eradicate womanhood altogether uh how do we think that the first thing we need to do is to not give up we must have hope and we must know that we will get there on this issue and and on all the issues where the truth is on our side. And in order to get there, we each have our part to play. So some of us have a really, really vocal public role to play, and I, I actually feel called to that. I feel that I am called to speak about this in the public domain. You know, I did my PhD at Oxford. I'm an academic. I've got a lot of research skills, and this is something where I feel called to speak out publicly. But I think each of us is called to speak out in the circle that we're in, and we're mm-hmm. not we're not able to be silent because this is a matter of grave injustice and so it's not good enough to just stay silent. But I think we have to find ways to bring it up, to talk about it, um, to, to prickle the consciousness of people and to think about how our own gifts and talents might be used for this issue. So, you know, Hannah Moore, she was a poet in 18th century Britain when slavery was legal and she was part of the dinner party set, very affluent, but she realised that she couldn't stay silent on the issue of slavery. So she wrote a poem and that poem had far-reaching implications. It prickled the conscience of the British people and it really helped them to see what slavery was for the first time. So I think each of us has our own suite of gifts and we're all called to lean into them for this issue. Part of that means we must educate ourselves because you can't use your gifts to call out abortion if you don't really understand why abortion is wrong. So I think that part of what I'm trying to do is to get people to join the movement, to follow me and to get tapped into pro-life groups in in their particular state and territory. So, you know, for those of you who are listening, I am on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and YouTube and it's at Dr. Joanna Howe on everything other than Facebook, which is at Dr. Joanna Howe official. And you can go to my website at drjoannahowe.com 
and there, you know, you can sign up to my mailing list. And my goal is to educate the movement to release the data and the facts that we're not receiving from the mainstream media and from the government. And through that education, we will get activated and we'll get passionate and we will be able to turn this around. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. I'll put all your links in the show notes. So if anyone wants to find Joanna, I will pop them in the show notes and you will find her quite easily and you can join those mailing lists and um, and look at what she's doing and sign the petitions and <laughs> find your voice. Um, Joanna, you must be the youngest looking, I know this is totally off, off topic, the youngest <laughs> looking 40-year-old I've ever seen. I thought she was so much younger than that. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think um, when I was, I've always looked young, so that's just something that I've had. And most people would be like, oh, poor you, like as in teasing me about it. But the reality was when I was in my late 20s and early 30s, I'd go to these academic professional conferences and everyone would just think I was an undergraduate uni student, not a lecturer or a senior lecturer. And I, I found it really hard looking so young. But now now I must admit, Jess, that I'm I'm 40. I'm actually quite pleased. <laughs> well done, you. When I saw your first... <laughs> I saw your first uh, video and I thought, oh, she must be a, a uni student. And then someone said, oh, no, she's got children. And then I said, what? And then, and then somebody said, she's a, she's a professor. Oh, my goodness, how old is this child? <laughs> That's you're, so funny. You're beautifully youthful. So oh, thank you. I think the, kids, the kids definitely keep me young. And I think, um, I think I've always just had a... A kind of a playful, um, fun nature in that mm. you know I, I, I sort of am always up for a laugh, and that's just sort of something that's I that's that's me, you know. Like I, yeah. and even on the issue of abortion, I I do try not to. It's a super serious topic, right? Like it's it, we're literally talking about um, the biggest death. human rights issue in our country and in our world today. It's the leading cause of death. But I also think that if I just get really um, grave about it that's not going to engage anyone so part of my approach and style is to is to try and um, tap into kind of that that thing that young people have which is this sort of charism and gifting and, and just being free and uninhibited and fun and yeah. you know so that's something I'm just trying to lean into I guess as part of this conversation on abortion. Yeah well it's definitely helpful and it's working and it's captivating so well done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know you're very, very busy and I know you have to go, but before we finish the conversation, I would love for you to tell the listeners something that has brought you joy this week. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> let me think. <laughs> I know, it, it takes oh, people, just people off guard because you think, oh, mm. joy, okay. <laughs> hmm. Oh, I've got something. Well, I just went to my... I have a really busy day today, Jess. I'm doing this podcast interview with you. Um, I also um, am going on Sky News in a little while to talk about the Albanese bill on misinformation. And I launched my website today and um, I was also doing some of my other uni work as well. And so it's just been a massive day. But I managed to find the time to go to my kids' assembly because it, I don't normally get to the school assemblies every Friday. I, I'm at work, so I don't get to. But my daughter, um, my third child, she's nine, she asked me, Mum, please, 
please can you come to assembly because we're doing our choir performance and I really want you to be there and you know and she even said to me mum don't say you're going to be there and not be there and that made me feel very guilty because I thought oh gosh have I done that before but anyway it was hard to think about how to get to the assembly but I managed to make it work and I got there and I think I felt very joyful seeing the kids like I had three kids in primary school and each of their classes presented and then I saw the choir song and my little boy who's um six he's in year one he got he was in the choir and it was just such a wonderful thing I really enjoyed it um just seeing their excitement and their (laughs) joy being involved in the choir and in the school and it made me feel very happy I think so that was that was really positive I am alarmed that I'm about to go into two weeks of school holidays (laughs) I'm a little bit nervous I'm just so unbelievably outnumbered on the home front because there's five of them and one of me and my husband will probably days I'll probably do most of the looking after them I'm a bit nervous about that but it was joyful to see um, their little faces and so excited at school okay so week going into week two mid-holidays uh it's been raining for a week just keep thinking of that moment of seeing their (laughs) faces in the choir yeah and you know on Instagram last night I was scrolling which I try not to do but I did actually scroll and I came across this um, beautiful little video and it was about the fact that by your child by the time your child is 12 you've spent 75 percent of the time that you're ever going to spend with them in your lifetime so I have no idea if that's factually correct or accurate um, I'm sure but, you, you know, look into it yeah but I took it at face value and I just thought wow my oldest is 12 my youngest is three and a half this is it. These are the golden years where I have the most time I'm ever going to have with them and I, I shouldn't, you know, whinge mm-hmm. and grump about the fact that the house is always such a mess and they're so untidy and, you know, just all those things that, you know, um, get you down sometimes. I, I just, when I saw that, I thought, well, I've really got to treasure this time. As cliche yeah. as it is, I really have to treasure it. I know. It, it's You think it's so cliche, but it happens so, so quickly. So hold on to those little moments of choir singing and <laughs> assembly. Um, well, Joanna, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. You are extremely busy, but I, for one, am very grateful that you are a voice in our country that need to hear the truth and uh, you do it so beautifully and always with a smile on your face. So I will be in your corner until the the end of time (laughs) well thank you Jess it's been so wonderful to be here on the show and um to have this time to chat